0: This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, that's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you're listening to episode 38. When you get a chance, if you like what you hear, it would be awesome if you rate and review the podcast on iTunes. This really does help because I would love the feedback. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Rupert Hargraves, editor of Hidden Value Stocks newsletter and value reporter at valuewalk.com. Rupert's website, valuewalk.com, has a vast amount of information and resources related to value investing, including investing book recommendations and stock screeners based on strategies put forth by well-known value investors, as well as interviews Rupert has conducted with well-known hedge fund and portfolio managers. One aspect I love about investing is the application of principles that were successful for investing in one asset class and if they can be applied to investing in another asset class. The goal for this episode is to learn more about some of the greatest investors of all time, resources available at valuewalk.com, and Rupert's favorite lessons he's learned in his conversations with hedge fund and portfolio managers. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 38 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Rupert Hargraves. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, everybody. Robert Kraft here, your host on the Planet Microcap podcast. I'd like to take this moment to invite you to join me and some of the guests you may have heard on this podcast to our annual Microcap Investor Conference, the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 26th through April 28th. 2017 at none other than the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. The Planet Microcap Showcase will be two and a half days of company presentations, networking opportunities, an educational workshop, and you'll get to meet privately in one-on-one meetings with company management of undiscovered and well-known microcap companies. There are a lot of surprises in store and you're not going to want to miss it. So join us at the Planet Microcap Showcase April 26th through April 28th at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. For more information, go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com and register now to reserve your spot. See you in Vegas. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I've Rupert Hargraves on the program. Rupert is the editor of the Hidden Value Stocks newsletter and value reporter at ValueWalk.com. Rupert, welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you for coming on. So, uh, as we uh, usually do when we uh, when I start the uh, the the interview, um, what is your background and what is your experience with microcap stocks?
1: Well, my background, I started off um, in in the city of London doing. Proprietary currency trading, and when I got bored of this, which happened very quickly because it's it's not a it's a very stressful game. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to carry on investing. Uh, I, I enjoyed finance. I enjoyed the markets, um, so I, I started doing reading and looking at other different styles of investing. What um, b- what I thought. Trying to understand the subject and trying to build a a real good understanding of everything and the best way to deploy my my capital because at this point I didn't really understand stock side of it because currency trading is all about speculation really you're just betting on things going up and down with no real, I mean you can try and predict the macro economy but that's just a waste of time. And then um, stumbled across the the bible of value investing, the intelligent investor. And really my obsession with value grew from there. Um, the love of investing in a business and assessing the fundamentals and from there the more reading on the subject you go to you avoid large caps because everyone can get any information on large caps at a click of a click of a button you can find out everything you could possibly want to know about. Uh, Apple or ExxonMobil or something um, but with micro caps it's it's different it's a different different game altogether these are the stocks that you have to dig real deep to find the mispricings and so there are more mispricings mm-hmm. um, and that made a lot of sense to me it's Like, okay some of the world's best investors made their name in Micro cap stocks, because so this is where you can find the good businesses trading at cheap valuations. And it was just a natural progression from a love of value investing, a love of fundamental investing to Microcaps, where you could look at this business and say, I understand this business because it has what? It manufactures tiles or something. Everybody, everyone can understand that. Mm-hmm. And it has 15 shops. So that's really easy to understand. And that that love of the business and finding these mispriced opportunities is what took me to microcap. Micro caps. And I've been doing that full-time for about 10 years now. Nice. Which isn't, isn't long compared to most people, but it's, it's long enough to know not what to do.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, in some circles, you're now 10 years old. Congratulations. Um, no. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's, it was,
1: um, was it Walter Sloss who said that the first 10 years of investing are the most important. Because once you, unless you've done 10 years,
0: you don't know anything about the game. <laughs>
1: Think so you're going to make so many mistakes in those first few years. Mm-hmm.
0: So so what brought you to valuewalk.com and hiddenvaluestocks.com? You know, what, how did that germinate? Where, where did that start from?
1: Well, ValueWalk walk was uh, a natural progression. I, so when I was, after my transition away from foreign currency towards stocks, I wanted to learn more about the subject and i found one of the best ways of doing this was writing so i started a blog um, and i mean it's, it's really uh informative when you go and write about something and i can sit down i can write for hours and when i'm writing for hours i go and look at all the different component parts that make something something that makes something uh, give give birth to an idea and then i was thought hang on stock investing is not when you start out you're not going to make a lot of money from it really quickly and even if you wanted to it means you can't hold on to the positions for as long as you want to so I started doing freelance financial writing as a, a sideline something I enjoy I could make some money from and I could also learn from it and that's when I came across value walk um, and applied to come and write some value orientated topics
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it just blossomed from there really Grew out from a one article a week um, contract to what it is today, which is as many articles as possible on <laughs> as many subjects as possible. Um, yeah, that's that's how it worked. It just it just worked well because it was something that I wanted to write about and something that came easy to me, mm-hmm. and a site that wanted to get that information to readers who liked the subject.
0: And then also, uh, and then Hidden Value Stocks, how, how did that come about? Well, Hidden Value Stocks, this is something that
1: came out of, uh, a lot of, around this time last year, I started doing interviews for Value Walk with um, famous, famous investors. Um, and, well, not so much famous, but uh, value hedge value fund managers who fly under the radar.
0: No, in these, uh, in, in these circles, famous. that you, They're totally close-and. Yeah, cool to <laughs> I mean, if you look at a guy who's achieved thirty-five
1: percent per annum for his investors over yeah. five or ten years, which some of these guys have, they <laughs> should be famous, but they're not because they only had two hundred million under management or something, which doesn't quantify. But I started doing, I like, talking to these guys, and um, that became a weekly thing. And this this was started. I wasn't actually a, as part of this to begin with, and I came in because. It was something I was already doing, so it didn't make sense to replicate it twice. And I wanted to put a lot more time and effort into the... Like, these guys are very clever, so you want to be able to sit down, have a conversation with them, talk about their ideas, talk about how they got in the game, how they analyse companies. And that's not really something you can do when you're trying to write a short interview that becomes fairly... has a sort of template every time. So, So that's why we... Brought out hidden value stocks. To, I mean, this is thirty-five pages each each issue, and that's two hedge fund managers, and we dive deep on two of their ideas each. So that's four ideas in total, mm-hmm. and that's so much more content than what we had before, which is about fifteen hundred words with one manager, and maybe touching on a few ideas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, uh, yeah, it was a natural progression. there's something that was going to happen at some point anyway. Hopefully, well, it did so.
0: So Rupert, you know, what I wanted to know is what, what is your goal with ValueWalk.com and, and why did you feel it was necessary to share the information that you have and, and put it all together like you did?
1: Well, ValueWalk was uh, founded to sort of bring everything out there on the internet about value investing together into one place. And if you go over to the site, okay, look at in the, in the top bar, there's a timeless reading tab uh, the timeless reading has got under there. There's thousands of resources um, to cover everything from beginning and Benjamin Graham to value investing today and everything in between. How how to value companies, all the different hedge funds, value funds, how Warren Buffett started, Warren Buffett's biography, and all that. And we've also got a collection of investors uh, across the spectrum. Uh, these uh, And each investor has their own profile and profile biography, uh, some links to learn about their investing style and we've got value screeners as well and book lists, links, value investing, hedge fund letters. Um, so that's the value side and we've also got the hedge fund side where we cover hedge fund letters that are not available to the public. but we feel contain valuable information. So we try and put those across through our network of contacts and bring out the information. So people can learn from uh, guys who are paid to do this and may have something worthwhile to say. We don't tend to cover glory hedge funds so much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, We have some content on them, but for us it's more, is the fund interesting? Can we add value here? A guy's going to learn something from this. We're not going to go out and profile a mutual fund that tracks a, that tracks the S and P five hundred. Closet index is the S and P five hundred. We want to uh, let people give people information on stuff they may may not necessarily be able to find or is necessarily in the public domain, in a way that's legal.
0: You know, so in my in my last interview, Rupert. Um, we talked about various investing books and I kind of thought that, you know, it'd be pertinent to discuss this with you as well. You know, what, what are your, some of your favorite recommendations? You mentioned a few already, but you know, what are some of your favorite recommendations and, you know, what are, why maybe some of these would be good for new microcap investors?
1: Well, as I was already said, uh, the intelligent investor, that was transformation, transformative for me in my way of companies. I mean, even though it's, well, it's 70 or 80 years old now, however old it is, it still teaches, teaches you to think about business as a business rather than just a stop ticker on a screen. Um, the second one is Dear Chairman by Jeff Graham. Um, and I've, I did an interview with him when the, the book came out and read the book. And It's um, it's really, when you read Dear Chairman, you get uh, the view, the view, understanding that stock investing has changed significantly since the days of Benjamin Graham and when Warren Buffett first started. Um, and today, I mean, the, I, I don't know if you've you've read the book or if your readers would have done, but to uh, give a, better, a little bit of information about it, it's about activist investing over the years and how activist investing has evolved. And it's got all, it goes from Benjamin Graham, who was in many senses, the first activist investor and the first true fundamental investor, all the way through to today and how, uh, activist investing has changed. Mm -hmm. But I, I came away from reading this book as it's, it's very, I mean, if you want to make, do well with equities, then you need to have some kind of edge for a lot of these guys, it's activism. But it, it's it's another one of these books that teach you to think about the company as a as a business. And management is really important in that business. And 90%, 95% of managements are terrible. And it's finding the ones that though that, that that was yeah, that's probably the key takeaway from the book is that not ninety-five percent of managements in the US are are terrible and they're not acting in their best interests of shareholders. I mean some of the things, the stories that this this book details and these guys paying hundreds of millions of dollars just to get rid of raiders or people they don't like on the board. And it's just, it's just disgusting how it acted and how they're screwing over shareholders. So that's something you need to be really careful of. Mm -hmm. Um, And the third book I'd recommend is Inside the Investments of Warren Buffett, 20 Cases. Um, I mean, this is, it takes 20 of Warren Buffett's greatest investments and reviews each one. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Looks at why he was first attracted to it or tries to look at, tries to understand why he was first to to it, how the situation played out and what he took away from it. And this is another, it's like the dear chairman before it, you realise that in a lot of these situations, Warren Buffett had an edge, a strong edge over everyone else. Because in many cases, he was the largest shareholder. And this is, and this teaches you to think about the stock market, again, from the perspective that these are businesses, they're not tickers on the screen. Mm. And it also says to you, Warren Buffett is the greatest investor, but he's had a lot of advantages over people. He's, it's not, I mean, you could just follow follow him into every position, but you're not going to become Warren Buffett simply by trying to adopt his strategy. And following it, you don't have the advantages that he had. So yeah, I say these three, these three books always sort of say that how important the management is. A company, a stock, is a business, and you're not going to be the next Warren Buffett or Guru investor because they have a lot of advantages over the average investor. So Mm -hmm. play play to your own strengths. Mm -hmm. Don't don't go and buy, or attempt to buy. If you've just had a massive inheritance, don't attempt to go and buy a half a small cap and push for change because it won't happen. Because <laughs> you want to make money quickly or something, mm-hmm. something ridiculous like that. So see, that's that's it's it's difficult to put into words, but it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's you're not you're not Warren Buffett. Yeah, you're not special. That's that you're not special. The market will still uh, ruin you if it wants to.
0: You've done some extensive work on some of the greatest investors of our time, you know, like Benjamin Graham and Warren Buffett. And by the way, for those who haven't seen the Becoming Warren Buffett um, documentary on HBO, it's it's fantastic. I mean, not it doesn't just cover investing. You know, it talks about his life and who he is yeah, and who he, highly uh, recommended. Did you saw it? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's amazing. I loved it. I think
1: the main takeaway from that has to be focus. Yes. I mean they says that that's the outline like where Bill Gates and Warren Buffett both wrote down down focus and that mm-hmm. as that is his entire life has been devoted to the idea of compounding and the idea of learning as much as possible
0: mm-hmm.
1: to give you the greatest edge
0: mm-hmm. over everyone else. And so so on that point, you know, like and I know most of my listeners probably know a good amount, a bit about their investing style, but maybe you can kind of go over a little bit about, you know, what what was their investing style, and and how, how did value investing grow from it, and and then also why has it stood the test of time?
1: Well, I think like, it comes back to the Dear Chairman. I was talking about it earlier, the Dear Chairman book by Jeff Brown. In this in this book, it describes. Um, Benjamin Graham's fight with Northern Pipeline. I think mm-hmm. it is, And now, he, when he first came across this stock, he had to travel to Washington, wherever it was, where the company kept its annual records, to find that the stock was actually, had a book value of $100 a share and it was only, only trading 50. That's where the idea of value investing developed from. But when I look at it now, it's like the world has changed a lot since then. Um, And there are no longer so many of these obvious discrepancies. Now, Benjamin Graham essentially invented fundamental investing, which is why he was such a big deal in the world of investing. Because in in the Dear Chairman, it describes how when he was around, quite a lot of investing was done sort of speculating, just betting on the price going up. And Warren Buffett, came in to do, I mean, if you go back now, you can still, if everyone knew what they were doing, then you wouldn't have the opportunities that they had. It's just simply because it wasn't as popularized. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But I mean, it stood the test of time because it is buying out of favor businesses. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think you'd say value investing has changed from Buying these businesses that not many people know about. I mean, even Warren Buffett's uh, his first, his most famous investments like Sandborn Map and Dempster Mill, they were not obvious investments. And um, only when he got involved, you start they became more popular. But nowadays, value investing has become more more of a time arbitrage game, where you're seeing out a famous stock. And it's only out of favor for the moment because of human psychology, right? Like humans have never changed in however many thousands of years we've been around. If we see something going down, we want to sell it. We want to get out. That's the massive herds. And until humans change that mentality, buying cheap stocks in the hope that they will once again, come back in favor won't change. That's, that's why buying cheap stocks has succeeded. But value investing, as Benjamin Graham and Warren Buffett first interpreted, is still very – it doesn't exist. I mean, now if you go out and buy a load of cheap stocks, it's most likely they won't be cigar butts. They will just be junk. And Mm -hmm. in a year's time, they'll be worth zero. Mm -hmm. Because the good stocks, the good cheap stocks, aren't cheap for long. And I was reading – Uh, hedge fund letter, I can't remember the exact fund, but they were talking about the oil price decline in in 2014, 2015, when the price of oil collapsed, the shares of oil, Oil Explorers collapsed as well. But they were looking at these stocks and saying none of them actually got cheap enough because quite a lot of people piled in trying to replicate, trying to value invest bottom fish. They didn't actually get cheap enough to be at the stage where the risk reward was appropriate for someone who has a really high margin of safety. So the opportunities for deep value investing, as it was back then, no longer exist. But The opportunities for buying things that are out of favour and waiting a long time, as in time, time value investing, if you want to call it that way. Are still there because of the way people's mentalities are.
0: Mm-hmm. And and to kind of go off that, it, you you make an interesting point. I like I I think this idea of time value investing is kind of key, especially when you know like a few of my guests in the past they've talked about how you know they have years upon years of journals of. Of all their notes and in, on on companies that they've done their due diligence on. And they may have done due diligence on a company, you know, back uh, three years ago. But, you know, at the time, it didn't really fit their criteria. But maybe two, three years later, you know, the, you go back and take a look at that and say, oh, you know, you start seeing what the company's been doing and seeing how it's improved or not improved, um, over, over that time. And, and you make a judgment call then. So I, so it seems like because there's more information, I mean, I remember in that, I I read Jeff Graham's book too. I remember how you know you you saw Benjamin Graham. He you know he took the train down to the ICC in Washington D.C. and that's how he was able to get uh, you know more up to date uh, information on company financials. I mean this is in 1914, back before the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934. But um, it seems now it's it is more about timing because all that information is, is much more readily available to the masses. I mean, would, would you agree? Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I can, in 30 seconds, I can pick up on my, on my screen a stock screen that tells me every stock that's trading at 50% of book. Mm-hmm. But would I want to go out and buy them? Or are they all going to be junk? Mm-hmm. Or would it be better to buy a stock that looks cheap in the moment? Mm-hmm. And not looks cheap at the moment. That's that it has, it has fallen on hard times, like American Express last year. I mean, if you 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 bought that and taken a long term view for full, which,
0: but, By the way, for full 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 disclosure, you are, are do you own? Are you? Uh, I don't. Own, I okay. don't own.
1: I haven't owned any of the stocks I've mentioned so far. Okay. No, no position. But um, it, so if you you bought it and then were to hold for say ten years. I mean, you're going to make a good profit mm-hmm. because they're not they're not going away. But look at Warren Buffett. His greatest investment investment was Coke. I mean, I think when he bought that, it wasn't what you call a cheap cigar but It was trading at something like 15 or 20 times earnings. Mm-hmm. But he worked out he could grow at he grow earnings at 15% an annum or something like that. Mm-hmm. 40, 50 years later, look what you've got. <laughs>
0: yeah. But like, how how do you quantify timing? You know, like the, it's it's very arbitrary because I mean, you would, of course, you know, you, you get a lot of people saying that it's luck and you just happen to be in the right place at the right time and maybe looking at that company in the right place at the right time. I mean, do, how in your experience, you know, how do you think about timing and how do you think about um, even luck for, for that matter?
1: Well, there's always a degree of luck. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a degree of luck. You can't. I mean, you try and try and tell me what the stock market is going to do. No one can do that. It's always a degree of luck. But the best idea, or the that I've seen, the best process that I use is if you have a, a stock that you really like, um, you say it's worth ten dollars a share or whatever, uh, and it's trading it eight, but you're not willing to pay more than six. Put a limit in the market, go away, and forget about it. Doesn't hit that price, it doesn't matter, find another opportunity. Mm. Of of course, if the company then comes out in a year and says its earnings are up, then perhaps you should change your thesis. But I think it's, it's all about setting your target, calculating intrinsic value, set your target at the margin of safety that you're willing to accept. And then go away. And the market may fall 20% in three months' time. You may get your opportunity to buy. If it doesn't, don't don't accept any. I think that's a lot. A lot of, uh, something a lot of people do is they accept less. And they'll say, okay, I think the stock's worth 10, but it's trading at eight. I don't think I'm going to get any less, so I'm going to buy at eight. And that kind of invalidates your thesis
0: mm-hmm.
1: quite a bit. And that, well, that's one thing I found myself doing a lot when I started, is chasing the stock higher and not putting that limit in and forgetting about it. Mm. I think the amount of times since I stopped doing that and started just putting a price and forgetting about it, I've seen a much a much better performance psychologically and in monetary terms. Because, I mean, if you if you buy at eight and then it drops to six. You're going, oh, no, what have I done? Sort of thing. That was an extra extra load of profit in this for me. And mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, so that's that's what I'd recommend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, that, and I'm sure that one comes with experience for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this game, I so say you, you've got to, I mean, if you, if you start by, if you start on a load of winning bets, you're going to screw up pretty soon. You're going to screw up big. Mm-hmm. So it's just. If you do if you have a loss to begin with, I think that's healthy, mm-hmm. in terms anyway.
0: Yep. No, that, that, I've been there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think every, every good investor
1: has to, because you learn more from losing than learn, oh. learn from winning.
0: Oh, I wouldn't call myself a good investor yet. I'm, I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't stop, you don't
1: stop in this game.
0: Oh yeah, no, I'm um, I'm addicted. I I, I can't help it. You know that's that's why I like to talk to you and 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 other people on this this podcast because uh, you know I, I, it it only it only helps you know and I I love learning from from each and every one of you. But um, and one thing you actually did just bring up um uh, like a an answer about an answer ago was uh, the idea of you know the stock screeners. You know you can put any uh, a screener for anything that you want. and You can and you can find it. You know. But you happen to feature a lot of these, um, these screeners on, your, uh, on valuewalk.com that I thought were really fascinating. You know. So um, for, for my audience, can you provide an overview uh, of a few of the screeners that you feature and, and why you do that? Just have a look here and see. Well, <laughs> the ones that I've um, used actually
1: a lot personally in my past are not, are the, the raw charts screener and raw charts data. I like, because uh, these you can pull up, I mean, the thing I like about it is it's not complicated. Mm. It's, uh, they've got 100 different metrics, uh, 10 years of fundamental data, and you can pick up one, uh, say price to book, how's a stock trader the price to book over the past 10 years? And it will just, it shows, shows there on the screen, uh, or what's, what's the P-E ratio every quarter for the past 10 years? Mm. And that's that's really helpful um, because it is uh, it's just simple and it's, it's there in front of you. And there's not there's not too much uh, I find a lot of screeners can be very complicated. Mm. And also I think if I'm going to use a screener, I want to uh, I'd only use it as a starting point. Uh, I think a lot of people depend on them. Too much, and a lot of a lot of times the data is misleading because it will come from of uh, the last quarter or something, mm-hmm. and then you go and do the fundamental research. They say, "Hang on, this company has just issued five hundred million of debt, so that those figures are completely out of." Uh, mm-hmm. But I was, uh, I'm going uh, to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be naughty here and mention a screener that we don't have on Value Walk. Is actually these these guys I've had some association with in the past. Uh, they're a UK company called Stockopedia.
0: Mm.
1: And they have uh, very, very good. Um, it's only five years' worth of data, but it's presented in a very um, visually pleasing way. Traffic mm. lights, all that that tell you green is good and red is bad. But they also compile um, uh Various ratios like the Altman Z-score, and uh, they put together screeners based upon their data, which I've found to be one of the more reliable data sets. And I can't stress how important it is and how important that is to have good data for a screener because it can really throw you off and waste a huge amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I, have especially doing research for stocks when I'm writing about them. Mm-hmm. I would I would say. Uh, a good 80% of the screeners that I've used have been misleading.
0: Mm. But like, I I wanted to know for instance, like the, uh, like the, the Graham Dodd screener you have on the site, you know, what, what, what's the the point of having that up there for, um, for people to go and check out and look at, you know, what, what, what was your goal there?
1: It's basically just an idea. Mm. I mean, you've always, there's always ideas to throw up. Um, so what is this back testing yeah, it's got a back testing figure that's one thing I don't like is back testing figure <laughs> <laughs> i i have a i feel like in this game there's a lot more things you you don't like than you like. It's always good to be very critical and skeptical about things
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah the the grand formula screener i've I've not actually used it myself but um I think we've, we've, what we've tried, as I said, what we've tried to do at Value Walk is just compile the biggest amount of data and information that we have. And if that includes stock screeners that we think can offer value and be a good starting point,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then they, they will be included.
0: Mm-hmm. So... Uh, another thing that you brought up a, a bit earlier is that you know you've done interviews with uh, hedge fund managers and portfolio managers. You know what were some of your favorite lessons that you've learned from some of your conversations that you've had?
1: Well, when I first started doing this, I was I wouldn't say young and experienced, but still in awe that I could interview these people. <laughs> so what I, what I really like to do is um, ask them what their biggest mistake was because I felt like I could, I could learn a lot from this. And um, I think, I, I have, well, I have learned a lot from this, and this, this is probably the favorite thing I've learned from them, is when it comes to mistakes, everyone makes them. And they usually come from investing outside your field of competence or not understanding the idea in the first place,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which are fairly similar, linked. And outside of that, it's the traditional things like getting out too late or getting into too early or stuff like that. But that's also been a running theme through the interviews that I've had. A lot of these guys do um, really, really detailed. Oh, uh, it's the stuff that the average investor can't do, like. Two or three weeks studying a company before even deciding to see what the management's doing. Just to really get in there and know everything and try and understand not where the company's going, but where the industry's going and what are the competitors doing. Why isn't this company doing that? It's really knowing your field. Yeah. And if you, I mean, it's different, difficult for the average investor because obviously. I can't do that much research. I have a job. I have. I, I can't go and visit all these guys. But in, it's it's important to know what you're doing, what you're looking at. Um, even if it's only a few few days of research, mm-hmm. don't rush into anything. And, I mean, you will make mistakes, but. The thing is, is if you have a really good investment thesis and you think you really know the topic and the company, if you lose, then so what? I mean, you've done the research, uh, then there's no, you haven't made a mistake. It's just been a bad investment opportunity. So as long as it's this is the the biggest mistake is not doing your research properly and rushing into something. Take your time. <laughs> that's the, just the, that's probably sums it all up. Take your time. Don't rush into anything.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think that actually probably ties into my next question. Uh, you know, what what is uh, then uh, your advice for new microcap investor? N- new microcap investors.
1: Well, take take your time.
0: <laughs> try, try and understand the, not just the company, but
1: other companies as well. Mm-hmm. Especially in the microcap area, you've got to be so, so careful because if you go and see a a company and say, oh yeah, we've got the best, best new thing, hot new gadget, whatever it is, we're doing 70% gross margins and the competitors doing 20% gross margins. That's, I mean, 70% isn't good. I mean, that's a reason to go and say, hang on a second, if anything, this is going to be, uh, the dodgy there's probably some fraud going on here mm-hmm. so like, do you do your research and always ask why mm-hmm. uh, and this um, the third thing which for me is the most important uh, the, I've always found it when looking at companies the first thing I would look at is cash
0: mm-hmm.
1: cash tells you a lot cash on the balance sheet um, and cash generation
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If those two things are there, then you've got you a pretty good starting point. Mm-hmm. If you've got high debt and little cash generation, don't even, don't even bother looking at it because mm-hmm. it's no matter how cheap it is, it's not going to work.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. And so uh, you know we're about to wrap up here, Rupert. You know where where can my audience go and find more information about you, uh, your articles uh, uh, that you've done and and you've put out there?
1: Well, you can uh, find uh, all about me at Valley Walk. I cover hedge funds and value investing there. But if you really want to, if you read listeners really want to come and have a look at something interesting, head over to uh, hiddenvaluestocks.com, a new newsletter we published, which we published. We've got a new issue going out beginning of next month. We've got three interviews in it this time Mm. instead of the usual two. And Mm. we've got one of the funds in it is compounded at 35% per annum. For five years. Uh this guy's pretty pretty switched on. He knows what he's talking about. he's said some great ideas. I think last year he was up I can't remember the exact figure, but it was around fifty percent or more. He's really really nice guy, really intelligent as well. Um so check that out, you can have a look at a free teaser and download one issue or subscribe for a year. Mm-hmm. And we've also got some free content on there as well. Uh that's uh And, of course, at walk. that's where you can find everything else.
0: Cool. Well, Rupert, thank you so much for your time and for joining me today. Uh, Have a great weekend and uh, stay warm.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I will try.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap Podcast. And thank you, Rupert, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap Podcast or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap Podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap Podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at stocknewsnow.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of stocknewsnow.com, the official microcap news source and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.